What do you make of Rewa? I like the sound. Have you seen, heard all the puns like uh, Billy Rewa, a preacher son? No. Hello and welcome to Deep Dive. I'm Oscar Boyd. Cherry blossoms may come and go, but emperors never abdicate. Or so we thought until Emperor Akihito announced that he intended to step down from the throne because of his age and declining health. Now, with just two weeks until Akihito's son Naruhito becomes the 126th emperor, and with the name of the new era announced, Reiwa, we ask, what does it mean to be the emperor of Japan, and what can we expect from the next person to sit atop the chrysanthemum throne? Joining me on today's episode is Sakura Murakami, who is part of the Japan Times team reporting on the upcoming abdication and ascension. Thanks for joining me today, Sakura. Thank you very much for having me, Oscar. The name of the new imperial era was announced at the beginning of this month. It was Reiwa. It was all over the news. I'm sure everyone's seen it. Uh, there were bargains and sales across Tokyo. There was even an extra edition of the Japan Times. Uh, perhaps you can tell me, what was all the huge fuss about? So the huge fuss is about the new imperial era being announced in Japan, Reiwa, as you said. Um, but what that comes down to is the abdication of the current emperor from the chrysanthemum throne. Who is the current emperor? Um, tell me a little bit about him. When did he start and why is he abdicating? So the current emperor, um, Emperor Akihito, acceded to the throne in 1989 and he'll be known as the Heisei Emperor when he gives his throne to his son, Crown Prince Naruhito. The thing is, Emperor Akihito communicated his desire to give up the throne in 2016, um, citing concerns that his old age might get in the way of carrying out his responsibilities as an emperor. And and why is that significant? This is the first time in the history of the modern imperial family that an emperor has abdicated from the throne while he is alive. The imperial era, or Gengo as it's called in Japan, has corresponded to an emperor's reign since the Meiji period. So the emperor's reign being when they accede to the throne to when they pass away. Typically, until now. Until now, until this time around where there's a current living emperor, but he's giving up his throne to his son. The Gengo, therefore, isn't corresponding to the life of the emperor, but more to his time on the throne instead. So the handover happens in May? Yes, that's right. Uh, the current crown prince, Naruhito, um, will become the emperor on May 1st. The Abe administration announced the name of the new imperial era a month ahead of the actual accession for a number of reasons, but mainly in keeping in mind the software updates that are necessary. Uh, software updates. Software updates being that um, a lot of like documents, a lot of like uh, official documents in Japan are still um, based around the imperial era instead of the Gregorian calendar. Okay, so for example, this year is Heisei 31. Heisei as, 31. As opposed to 2019, as exactly. much as the rest of the world would yeah. call it. But some groups are actually opposed to releasing the new name early, right? Well, yeah, local media did report that some conservatives, I guess conservative politicians, wanted to keep the principle of having one Gengo or one imperial era for one emperor. 
So they didn't really like the idea of releasing the name of the new era ahead of the new emperor succeeding the throne. There was a bit of internal debate of, of about when exactly the new era would be announced, but um, I guess practicality took over. We've established the fact that the uh, imperial era is based on an emperor's reign, typically when they exceed to when they die, this time slightly different. Uh, but other than that, what is the current role of the emperor within modern Japanese society? So the role of the emperor is pretty much set forth by the constitution as a symbol of the nation, which is, you could say, the same for most other monarchies across the world. But in Japan's case, there was a lot of internal debate about what it meant for the emperor to be a symbol. Um, because of the history of the war, the questions of you know what um, political role the emperor is supposed to be playing, etc., to go in a bit into it, into the history of it, um, right after World War II, some countries like Australia wanted to put the emperor on trial so that he would take responsibility for Japan's war crimes during World War II. And why wasn't he put on trial at the time? Well, General MacArthur, who oversaw the U.S. occupation of Japan, which lasted after the war until 1952, was quite firm about keeping the imperial system in place because he thought without it, the country would be... You know, thrown into chaos, there would be riots, and that would lead to the American government having to add extra feet, extra troops on the ground to keep things under control. General MacArthur was actually quite involved in the drafting of the Japanese constitution. But when it came to the question of what role the emperor should play in politics and in the nation and um, how that should be defined in the constitution, the people involved in drafting the constitution decided to maintain the imperial system by stripping the monarchy of any kind of political power and enshrining them instead as um, a symbol in the constitution. So they wouldn't have any real power, but they would, they would just play a role as a... A figurehead? As a figurehead, I suppose, like as a symbol. So it's quite uh, similar in that sense to the British monarchy, for example. Yeah, scholars have said that this idea of enshrining the imperial family's role as a symbol is very much inspired by the British royal family and how yeah, um, the British monarchy works as well. If that's the case then, and it's the emperor's role is enshrined in the constitution as a symbol, what does it actually mean to be a symbol? That's the question that Emperor Akihito himself and um, the previous emperor, Emperor Hirohito himself, probably questioned from themselves because it's you know there's no specific role that's set out for them it's just this one vague word a combination of factors has helped to define the idea of what being a symbol of the nation means to japan for example immediately after the war there were debates in the diet um, about what what role the emperor should play there were also a lot of scholarly circles who kind of discussed um what uh, the emperor's role should be under the constitution. So there was a lot of discussion about what powers he should have, he, he actually has, the extent of his political reach and so forth. So right now, debates over what it means to, for the emperor to be a symbol has pretty much settled. Like people have, if a vague one, an idea of what the emperor's role should be. So issues and I guess debates 
revolving around the imperial family and the chrysanthemum throne has pretty much shifted more to the question of um, succession. For example, the current, uh, the crown prince Narukito only has a daughter and he doesn't have a son, which means that she can't succeed the throne. Because she's a woman. Because she's a woman. So the debate has pretty much shifted from what it means for the emperor to be a symbol to, I guess, issues of gender, like whether a woman can succeed the throne or not. I'm going to put you on the spot here. You've said defining the role of the emperor is, uh, as a symbol is quite hard. And then you just said everyone has a pretty good idea of what it means for him to be a symbol, hence why the debate's shifted on. So what does it mean for him to be a symbol? The emperor doesn't hold any political role is a representative of the nation as a whole, and so they can't be too much of a divisive figure. It doesn't hold any active role in politics. So it's interesting because I think there is a general feeling about the imperial family and how the emperor should be, but actually putting that down into words is what's difficult. So the role of emperor as a symbol um, in Japan was defined for Emperor Hirohito in the post-war constitution. Um, but what was his role before the war, before that constitution uh, was enforced? Um, to take a step back a bit, the Japanese imperial family said to have a history of some 2,600 years, although that's debatable. Conservatives say that you can trace the emperor's lineage on his father's side all the way back to the very first emperor, Jimmu. Who was a descendant of the sun god, right? Sun god Amaterasu, yes, that's right, about 2,600 years ago. Historians disagree with this, though, because there's just in general like a lack of historical evidence. I'm going to cut a bit out, but the thing is, emperors didn't really hold any real political power until the Meiji period. The Meiji period, which was from 1868 to 1912, was the era when Japan modernized as a nation state and adopted a Western style of governance, so to speak. It was the first time the country drew up its own constitution, and as part of that reform, the emperor was sort of propped up as the head of state, and the whole idea that he is a descendant of God and is a sacred being was sort of kind of enforced across the nation. So the emperor becoming a political figure was actually a manifestation of kind of a rising national spirit, would you say? Absolutely. Things like an emperor-centric political system, nationalism based on the imperial family, a national identity with the emperor as the father figure of the nation, things like that all started in the Meiji era, which is quite recent if you put it in the context of a 2,000-year history. The whole idea that a gengo, that the imperial era should be linked to the emperor's life started in that era as well. So subtle ways of kind of reinforcing the idea that the emperor is the figurehead of the nation. So that goes on for a good 80 years or so, and then the war happens. What happens next? Japan lost the war. The new constitution came into place, and that constitution specifically said that the role of the emperor is a symbol and stripped him of any kind of political power. So Emperor Hirohito went from 
god to mere mortal overnight that must have been quite a tough transition well yeah i suppose it would be um he was born in the meiji era as a so-called well he would have been a descendant of god then um then when the war ended he put out a statement admitting so to speak to the nation that he wasn't a descendant of a god but actually just a human being that's such a strange concept (laughs) (laughs) just admitting that he's a human being and then a few months later he was a symbol overnight so um that's the kind of transition that the Showa Emperor went through. Hirohito dies in 1989 and passes on the throne to his son Akihito, which heralds the start of the current era, the Heisei era. How has Emperor Akihito defined the role of being a symbol for himself? So the current emperor, Emperor Akihito, has always been aware of his role as sort of of the people. He mentioned it in his address to the nation when he um, talked about his will to abdicate. He did receive special training in his formative years as part of that. And what does the Japanese public think of the current emperor? So the current emperor is quite popular with the public. Um, There have been some stats that the public broadcaster NHK has taken every five years since 1973, which follows what the public opinion of the emperor has been. It's quite interesting because up until 1988, the most common response the public had towards the emperor was disinterest in general. And this was Emperor Hirohito. Hirohito, yes. And that was usually about 47% of responses... Like pretty much half of the responses would be that. Uh, But since 2013, 35% of respondents have said that they have a favorable impression of the current emperor. 34% say they respect the emperor. And the number of people who are disinterested has decreased 28%. What's made the current emperor more popular then than his predecessor, his father? Well, a lot of the emphasis with the current emperor has been on him sort of coming down from above the clouds, being closer to the public. And um, What's he done to, to show this? For example, he, he changed the way he speaks. He speaks much more like a normal Japanese person would. Before, they used a very specific style of speaking, but that has been kind of simplified to um, more like a colloquial Japanese. And um, he's also, the current emperor has also made a huge effort to visit disaster-struck areas, to um, talk to victims of natural disasters. And so that's been a big part of the current imperial family as well. And you can't forget the role in this of his wife, Michiko, who's been by his side pretty much the entire time through his reign. Absolutely. Um, He married, uh, well, Emperor Akihito married a woman who didn't come from an aristocratic background and was a so-called commoner, which was a first. And, um, you know, also just the fact that his marriage to then Crown Princess Michiko wasn't an arranged marriage in a time when arranged marriages were still actually pretty much the norm. It was a tale of romance that swept the nation. They met on the tennis courts. It was called the Tennis court romance and um what with um then crown princess michiko being a very beautiful woman they became a massive hit with the nation and even when that popularity wore off uh the emperor and empress was 
always making an effort to connect with the Japanese people, especially those who are marginalized in society. Um, for example, a very symbolic moment um, for the current emperor and empress is when they visited dis disaster-struck areas and they would kneel on the floor to keep level eye contact with disaster victims. So they were quite literally bringing themselves down to the, the height of the people. Exactly. Um, I mean, this was a first, especially because usually emperors would be standing while others were kneeling. But it was the first time that someone so you know, someone so high up as the emperor was actually kneeling to talk to people. A huge part of the emperor's role was also in atoning for the war crimes committed by Japan during World War II. And I think he made this quite uh, a part of his legacy. Emperor Akihito has always made a point of traveling to places like Okinawa, Hiroshima, Iwo Jima, Nagasaki, and paying his respects to those who died in the war there. Um, these travels also took him abroad to places like Palau and Saipan. Emperor Akihito has repeatedly declined to lend any kind of prestige to Japan first nationalism and that he's very much in favor of a kind of a quiet pride in Japan. The current Emperor Akito may even be credited with holding back uh, an imperial-centric populism in Japan as well. So the current Emperor Akito, his role was very much defined by the times, who he was as a person um, and a generally, I would say, peaceful outlook. Um, how do you think this will carry over into the new emperor and into the, the new upcoming Reiwa era? Uh, well, it might be a bit difficult for the new emperor, Naruhito, because the current emperor is so popular. Um, so the first challenge he might face would be maintaining that level of popularity. But at the same time, the emperor in general, as a role, is a symbol of the nation and the new emperor will be sure to adapt to changing times and add his own personal touches to the throne. What might some of these personal touches be? A common way of thinking of imperial family and monarchies in general is that they're sort of like a mirror to society, a mirror of society. And whichever way the new emperor does define his role, it would probably be a reflection of the Japanese public and... Japanese society in general too. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. That was the Japan Times' Sakura Murakami and you've been listening to Deep Dive with me, Oscar Boyd. Thanks as always for listening and if you've enjoyed this episode please do share it with someone you think might like it or leave us a review or a rating. You can subscribe to Deep Dive and find more episodes on all major podcasting platforms including iTunes, Spotify and Stitcher. Join us on Twitter and let us know your thoughts on the episode at Japan Deep Dive. Thanks for listening and see you next time.